A very happy new year, everyone. Welcome to the first Bet It Right show of 2022 in conjunction with BetItRight.com, which is a brand new football website that brings the data to your door. And each week, as you know by now, I'm sure we will update you on the key numbers and metrics that you can use to help you show off in front of your mates and allow you to bet better. So make sure you like and subscribe this podcast, tell all your mates about it and get involved with us at BetItRight.com. Well, firstly, a massive shout out must go to the Twitter user at FireNR, who correctly predicted not one but two scores recently on our Bet It Right Insights page at BIR Insights on Twitter. He correctly predicted two all in the Villa United game and one nil in the City game. Um, I hope you back them. Um, there are, as you know, I'm sure those that follow that that page, lots of score predictions that we ask for from you. And congratulations to everyone who correctly predicted Brighton won, Chelsea won. That was John Robbo. I've got the list here in front of me. John Robbo, El Pukki, Matt, Neil Roberts, uh, Mason, and once again, Gary Sinclair. He has had now, I think, three or four right. And one all was also our tip for the game, and that came in at seven to one. Um, And just on Monday and Tuesday this week, uh, the BIR Insights account won four out of five bets. Uh, returning almost triple the stake. A tenner on each of the five bets would have returned £142. So get following if you're not already. Um, They are on fire. Um, More score prediction games uh, coming your way this weekend. And as always, I'm delighted to be joined by Dean Selvey, our football expert, who is... um, who is back from his um his deathbed? You weren't very well over Christmas, Dean, but I'm I'm glad to see you looking fit and well, mate. <clears throat> I am fit and well. I'd say eighty percent. I'd say I wouldn't be starting. I'd be coming off the bench. Impact sub. I think I've got a little bit of a Stephen Bergwijn about me today. Um, but yeah, happy new year to all the followers, all the users. Um, good Christmas, Ollie. Um, well, I also was ill over Christmas. I think even though we live in different countries, I think we might have passed it through the, the power of Zoom or Skype or whatever we use for, for the Bet It Right show. But um, yeah, no, fine. The racing was good. Lot, obviously, the, the, the dream about having COVID over Christmas was it meant that I had Boxing Day off and there is literally wall-to-wall sport from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed. So I was just sat on my sofa watching a lot of football, a lot of racing. So I was, um, I was all right. I was well looked after in the end. Um, bit too much food, bit too much drink, the usual. Do you know what the sad thing was? I bought all the food for my family. So I had a fridge full of food, which I was going to take over to mum's. But then obviously I was unwell, so I couldn't go around. So I had to cook a roast for about nine for one on my own on Christmas Day. So I had all this food in my fridge. So it was very lonely when you're just looking at piles of roast potatoes, um, knowing you've got to get through that for the next five days or whatever. Um, Please. Please tell me, though, and, and the viewers, that you actually did cook for nine and you just ploughed on. What? I know I got people around. No, no, just on your own, just there. Having a oh, no, pie. 100%. Yeah, yeah, sorry. No, I definitely didn't break the law, unlike <laughs> the government. I, uh, <laughs> I, um, no, I, I, I can just pick. I can just picture you eating a massive bowl of potatoes that are made for nine, just having a little sob in your Christmas hat. <laughs> <laughs> Losing bets on football because I wasn't following betitright.com. Um, I'll tell you what, those score predictions have been on fire. BIR Insights page, and, and and actually, I mean, there's very little point in us flagging up bets because the guys on BIR Insights are just so good. So if you want tips, et cetera, head there. They've been on fire at the moment, Dean. Yeah, they've been brilliant. And of course, I have to give a shout out to, even though it's it's not a human being, to our AI uh, on the 
on the prompts page, obviously those in-play bets are coming through all the time as well. So if you're someone that likes to follow games in play and likes to see the change in tactics when maybe a team goes behind or goes in front, you know, late on, or maybe last night in play, you were sitting there watching Tottenham Leicester and you thought in the 95th minute, right, I'm going to bet on Tottenham to win. <laughs> I'd be interested to know what, if anyone, you know, knows what the odds were, if anyone was looking at the markets at that point. I think they'd have probably actually been closed given how late it was, but unbelievable finish. Unbelievable. It was crazy, wasn't it? There was that photo of Sionshu looking over Bergwijn when they were 2-1 up and sort of dragging him up and then Bergwijn pushed him and got booked for it. Yeah, that, giving, him, giving him a bit, you know, don't you yeah. cheat and then... And that was when but, Leicester were 2-1 up. 20 seconds yeah. later, the game's finished and Tottenham have won 3-2. Just absolutely bonkers. That's why we love football. Unscripted madness at times. Um, but yeah, just crazy, crazy game of football. And Conte's doing well at Tottenham, unbeaten in the Premier League. Um, but one man who's not been doing well in the Premier League and has lost his job for it is Rafa Benitez. All change at Everton, Dean. Uh, as people that have watched the show and the clips before know that I'm a, a devout Liverpudlian. Liverpudlian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Liverpool fan. Despite <laughs> voice, uh, you know, massive Everton fan since I was a kid. And yeah, for since Mashiri took over five years ago now, it's just been a car crash. And we don't seem to have an identity. There doesn't seem to be an idea about how we want to play. There's no consistency in managerial appointment. We've gone for these big managers that want loads of money and they've had loads of money. And, and the managers, you know, Benitez is the sixth manager to go. And obviously the Allardyce thing and then Marco Silva and Martina, blah, 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 and Kuman and all these people that just don't seem to fit. And, you know, no connection with the fans and there's been over five, you know, they've spent over five hundred million pounds in the transfer window since since he took over. Half a billion pounds, and you think, what you know, what's going on? But who is getting this wrong? I mean, is there? I mean, the managers are obviously the guys that are losing their jobs, but that sounds like the recruitment plans bad. The business model's not very good. It sounds like it's just badly run, right? Well, yeah, Everton have come out this week. In a, or it was a, a report a couple of months ago showing that they're the only team that, I mean, they, they phrased it as the wiggle room in the financial fair play. They're the only team that are in negative 35 million. And that's why Benitez wasn't able to be active. That's why he had to go into the free transfer market and pick up none other than, you know, players like Solomon Rondon, just rolling back into the Premier League thinking, probably got the phone call and, you know, was thinking that it was, you know, Punked was being restarted on MTV. You know, Ashton Kutcher's on the phone. Hey, Solomon, do you want to go back to the Premier League? Yeah, OK, that sounds like great fun. <laughs> you know, Damari Gray's actually been great for a couple of million. And then you've got Andros, Andros Townsend. We've been a bit more active in the window in January, signing a, a Nathan Patterson from Rangers. And I can't actually always pronounce his name. Uh, Milienko from uh, from Kiev. But yeah, it's that it's the it's the players in the twenty to thirty million pound bracket that's really killed Everton. And if you're a 50, 60 million pound player, you're normally successful. If you're a five to, to twelve million pound player, you're a bit of a gamble. But it's players like Cenk Tossum, Jean-Pierre Gamamin, you know, Alex Iwobi, those players, 25, 22, 30 million, and they just rack up, rack up, rack up, and Morgan Schneiderlin, all these players have just been wildly unsuccessful. Um, so all changed there now. Um, and Duncan Ferguson is back, um, caretaker manager, big dunk, Everton legend. Um, he has had a spell as a caretaker manager where I think he, he hugged fans that ran on the pitch, 
I know it was uh, it gave a couple of ball boys a good old squeeze. Their yeah. eyes out, kind of, you know. Right, they looked in absolute agony with big dunk <laughs> strangling <laughs> them. Um, and it's and it's obviously against Villa this weekend. So Gerard as well, a couple of Merseyside legends, just sort of meeting in the dugouts um, for what should be a a good game of football, but it, it's an important game of football, a very important game of football for Everton actually, and and they need to get their season back on track because losing to Norwich is 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 bad, to say the least. Yeah, and who takes over? They've said they've kind of said that Ferguson will get a couple of games. He's come out saying that he does want the job. He did a great job when he came in as caretaker before uh, the three games in the league, the win against Chelsea with the kid squeezing, the draw against Arsenal, draw against Man United, and a six-four bumper goals defeat uh, in the cup against Leicester. Uh, you know, I guess that it'd be good to see if there was a market. You probably can find a market this week on the internet whether he'll wear a shirt or a coat where they would just be out there in the freezing cold, just being like Duncan, the legend, with a captain's armband on. And another interesting thing, in the, in the, when, he, when he managed before, he had an old watch on that was stopped. I think it was a quarter past eight, and that was actually Howard Kendall's watch that his daughter gave to him on the day of the game, and he wore it. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if he's wearing that again. But, I mean, where do they go? Rooney, no official approaches yet. Martinez says no. They tried to get Nico Kovac the previous time. He said no. Maybe Lampard gets an interview. But yeah, this is a massive game. Ferguson's got a couple of Blues legends on the bench in uh, John Ebrill and Leighton Baines. So it's going to be a real kind of a real clash. And at Goodison Park, the crowd are going to go crazy. Ferguson will be there kind of riling them up. But he's been in and around the players, obviously, for a long time. So whether he can change tactically too much, who knows? And it may just be a big old scream and shout uh, from Duncan to get the to get the team moving forward for this for this particular game. You mentioned Rooney there. He's one of the names mentioned. Obviously, we know about his connection to, to Everton. Um, it seems like he's done an unbelievable job with Derby. Like there's a chance that they can stay in the championship having had a 21 point deduction, like which essentially ruled ruled them out of any chance of staying up and the squad they've got, etc. So clearly he's doing very well. He's loyal to Derby because he could have jumped ship as well. Would you as an Everton fan want Rooney to be your manager? I think a little bit similar to Lampard at Chelsea, it's probably a little bit too early for him. I think being at Derby, no, like he's playing a lot of young players at Derby. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show uh, with their big, with, with the big game against Forest this weekend. But I think maybe it's a little bit early for him. You know, Ferguson again has never been gone from being an assistant to being a first team manager it's really a case of now who would want the job. Do you go for a younger manager like Lampard, who again probably stepped into Chelsea a little bit too early. He's had a bit of time out of the game now, interviewed for the Norwich job, didn't get it. And then which other manager do you take? Do you go for Graham Potter at Brighton? But would he want to leave Brighton to go to Everton? You know, with the financial fair play, he won't have money to spend. He'll have to kind of work with the squad that he's got. And there are good players in the squad, but they just haven't seemed to find that that flow, that tempo, that kind of identity that Everton have had. And they really need to make Goodison Park a, a fortress again, and hopefully that starts uh, this weekend. Yeah, so uh, look, we know it's a big a big game, but but how do you see it going? How do you see it unfolding, and are there any bets in it? Well, Ferguson played 4-4-2 with a double six uh, in his previous stint, and that was actually the formation that, that Everton played against Norwich. So maybe he sticks with it, Calvert-Lewin and Rondon at centre-forward. Everton have been best on the counter-attack. Uh, so they'll be looking to get down the sides of what is a very narrow Aston Villa team. 
hopefully trying to pair up maybe Damari Gray against Matty Cash in 1v1, which could be an area to exploit. Um, but Everton have been really poor defending either side of their two centre midfielders this season. And with Villa favouring a compact kind of narrow shape, you can see Villa really hurting Everton also getting runners down the side of the centre halves, which is a, an area where Everton can be exposed. Michael Keane, not the most mobile. So actually, it's a game that, you know, Villa have been playing really well recently and have shown themselves to compete against the top sides. Everton aren't a top side at the moment. Lots of turmoil. The Ferguson effects will obviously buoy them. But it's not a changing room full of you know players from Liverpool. It's a, it's a room full of internationals that know Duncan Ferguson. So maybe that won't be as big of an impact. But when you look at the, the statistics for the teams, Everton and Villa, um, both have only had two clean sheets, respectively, home and away this season. Uh, the draw-no-bet market is where the price is at right now. And I would have expected Villa to actually be slight favourites here. They are very slightly in the price but I would expect him to be maybe a quarter ball on the handicap market. So Villa away from home as a draw no bet would be a great shout um, as slight favourites. And also the over two and a half market at better than even money. I do think this is a game that's set up for goals. There's exposure on both sides of the ball. I don't see the game dying at any time. And Ferguson should rile the crowd up, should be a lively atmosphere. Gerard on the touchline. I think it will be firecracker. So, yeah, goals, goals, goals. Okay, we're going to introduce in 2022 a new section into the Better Right Show, and it's the tactics room. And Dean's got an extensive career and CV in football. So just explain to us, Dean, if you can, what exactly is the tactics room? So the tactics room will be kind of similar to stuff that we've done before, but just a little bit more detail in regards to how teams are going to set up against each other, things to look for when you're trying to look for bets and how I look at the game working as a you know an analyst a coach and also the kind of processes that i use when i'm advising the large-scale gambling syndicate that i do some work for leading up to weekend games how we look at matchups how we look at managerial factors how we look at external factors uh, you know looking into games and really how we use all of that information to then also look at the data alongside that so it's it really the tactics room is going to be about how to look at information away from the data to predict potential performance and obviously lead our way to to the best bets for the best profit. And um, what is the game that we're going to focus on in the tactic room tactics room this week? So this is going to be gloves out. This is going to be a basement battle. It's going to be, you know, Watford versus Norwich, 17th and 18th. A real, uh, you know, a massive game for both teams. Taking Were you going to say a six pointer there? <sighs> yeah. Can I say that <laughs> or will I get a yellow card for that? <laughs> You might get a yellow, but we'll um, yeah. we'll think about it. We'll it's VAR six, that one. It's a six-point basement battle on a Friday night under the lights. Friday night lights. Yeah, massive game for both teams, especially with Norwich having somewhat of a, a mini revival. Uh, and and what in, in particular? How do you see it shaping up? I mean, Watford can't keep a clean sheet, right? Um... No, and Watford have been on an awful run. No win in the last eight games. Um, but looking at it tactically to start with, so the interesting thing about this game and why I picked this game to look at is that both teams can exploit the, the defensive frailties of the opposition. And it's really a game where you're looking at Norwich. They've been in the bottom three all season. This is their chance to get out of the bottom three. And, you know, they would jump above Watford and Watford would suddenly be in the bottom three. You know, Watford have got two games in hand. They're one point ahead. Uh, Norwich have only scored 10 goals this season from 21 games, which is bizarre. 
uh, and they needed an own goal last week to help them get across the line, obviously with Adam Ida scoring his first goal in the Premier League. But star-wise, we're looking at Watford's pace. So when when I sit down and I look at matchups for the weekend, I always try and look at first, OK, what are the potential strengths of each team? And is there a direct exposure defensively of the opposition? So when I looked at this game, I looked at the Norwich defensive unit and I looked at the Watford attacking unit. That's part one. Norwich defensively, typically when you look at a game of football, you would expect the back four to move together to be in kind of some sort of synchronicity. If a centre-half goes, they tuck. If a fullback goes, they slide. They move together. They manage the space in front. They manage the space behind. Norwich just don't move like that. Uh, you know, if a centre-half locks on, the other centre-half may be deep. The fullback may be high. The other fullback may be out. So their back line is really, really disjointed. With that, that allows space for players to run in behind, especially from deep and especially from outside to inside, which is the hardest run to defend. What I like to call runs against the direction of possession, where defenders tend to get attracted to the ball and we can have runners off the blind side or potentially third man runs. And with Watford's pace through Pedro, through King, through Emmanuel Dennis, who's got eight goals and four assists this season, and also Ishmael Assar coming back from injury, they have a really, really pacey front line. And this is a really, really big chance for them to exploit what is a what is a, a terribly disjointed uh, Norwich back line. So on that side, Watford, huge chance to exploit Norwich. And also Norwich will try to play out from the back. They will look to play. They want to try and play what everybody calls, you know, football the right way and play through the thirds. But Grant Hanley especially will dwell on the football and he'll give chances to uh, to Watford to turn the ball over. So from a Watford angle, Big, big, uh, big chances for them to exploit Norwich. Now, when I flip it, I say, okay. Just does that first, mean... it sounds like you're not a Grant Hanley fan by the sounds of it. <laughs> well, you know, in in one v one confrontation situations, aerial balls, then he's okay. But when he tries to play and he wants to be kind of cute on the ball and move the ball, then he can he, a tendency to dwell on the ball. Technically, he's not great. A little bit like Michael Keane at Everton, quite slow in his movements, quite slow in processing the ball and moving the ball from point to point. And if Watford can exercise that press quite quickly, there right. should be there should be some joy for them there. How, how did Norwich get the better of Watford then? Flip it around. So when I'm looking at these games for the, for the syndicate or for my own personal, you know, personal use or even for the show, once I've looked at that, I'll say, right, does that mean that Watford become a handicap bet? You know, are they going to expose Norwich? Are Norwich going to be able to flip? You know, if you flip the pitch, is there any exposure of Watford? And actually there is. And... Leading up to the West Ham game, Norwich changed to more of a 4-4-1-1. It looks like a 4-4-2 with Puki and Ida, but it's more of a 4-4-1-1. One of them will drop in and they look to try and get down the sides of the centre-halves. And that was something that they did well against West Ham. They identified that they could use it against Everton and did it well there. And the mobility of Watford centre-halves, Samir plays, Cathcart plays, that's a real area where Norwich can get down the sides of the centre-halves and really expose them. And that's kind of an area where Norwich will, will focus their attention. Again, they like to play. So both uh, Watford and Norwich will try and play out from the back. On the Watford side of the ball, Craig Cathcart is the kind of handly for them. Can be exposed, mobility not great. So I can expect Norwich to have chances down the side. Now, after I've looked at the tactical element, there I say to myself, OK, there's exposure on both sides of the ball. Now I start to look at the statistics. 
And when you look at the stats, it paints a very different picture. You know, Watford, no winning eight games, only one goal from, from 0.92 XG. But they have, and now this is something for the for the Bedit Right users to think about. Okay, who have they played at home? So they have played Tottenham, West Ham, City, Chelsea, Liverpool in their last seven games. So now you think, okay, right, this is, you know, Norwich are not a Man City. They're not a Liverpool. Um, so you have to think about that in context. And then with Norwich, only 0.28 goals away from home, the lowest in the league. And also Tim Krull potentially being out throws an element of doubt into that. So then I would say to myself, OK, the style looks like exposure, but the stats are telling me that neither team are, uh, are particularly very good in front of goal. So now where do we go? And this is where now you have to decide, OK, which side of the fence are we going to sit on? And for me, the potential bets in this game, Watford win are better than even money. Their front three are better than Norwich's. That exposure, that pace, I can see them being a real threat in this game. And actually, over two and a half goals as well, which is better than even money. The stats don't, don't push you that way, but I think this is a game where both teams will see it as an opportunity to win. Both teams will go after the game. I don't think the game dies at 1-0. So those are the two markets that I would push uh, for the tactics room this week. Well, we've got a local derby in the championship. Um, you said something very funny on the WhatsApp group for the Better Right Show. What is it? The El... It's the El Clafico. El Clafico. It's Forest versus Derby. Um, Forest are in good form. Obviously beat Arsenal in the FA Cup. Derby have done brilliantly under Rooney to even have a chance of staying up. What are we looking at here, bud? Well, first question to you, Ollie, is why is it called the El Clafico? Because it is the... Well, as it, well, you had Brian and Nigel Clough. Is that the correct answer? Across well, yeah. The... And, well, Brian Clough managed both teams. Didn't and... Nigel Clough manage Derby as well? Yeah, but I mean, he, you know, Nigel Clough's never punched a fan. He doesn't get... He doesn't <laughs> right, get <his> <laughs> um, and the winning team of this match actually gets the Brian Clough trophy. Oh, really? Yeah. That so I it's a little... Know. A little mini prize at the end of every game since I think 2007 they introduced it in his honour. Uh, I feel like yeah. that trophy would be like the most dour-looking statue of all time, just the grumpiest thing on your mantelpiece. It's 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 a green it's a green jumpered statue with a with a you know a punch. Yeah, it's one of those <laughs> comedy like jacket boxes when you walk past it punches you. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous. I love that. Yeah, so the East Midlands derby, massive game. We talked about Rooney earlier. I mean, what a, what a job he's done at derby. But not many, like, I mean, obviously he's had a bit of experience. There's a few experienced players there, but he's had to do it with kids, basically. Yeah, he's put a few kids in there now. And, the, and the, the problem with that is when you're a club like derby and you need to sell players. They had to sell Graham Shinney last week for 35000 to Wigan, which is an absolute bargain. Phil Jagielka's gone off for his little summer holiday in Stoke. And the problem now is you throw Max Bird, Luke Plange and Jason Knight into the team and now clubs are hunting around trying to buy them. And it's like a lose-lose situation, yeah. you know, win-lose, lose-lose. But starting the season with a 21-point deduction now being in the position that they're in, they'd be in 11th place if it wasn't for the points deduction. You know, I'm beating him five in the league. 
scrambling around in the transfer window. They've got Richard Stearman playing centre-half at 35, Curtis Davis playing centre-half. Um, yeah, he's, he's done an amazing job. He's done an amazing job. But Forrest are a good side, right? Oh, I get him. I mean, yeah, I they are a good side. Yeah, they've been better at home. Steve Cooper's got them. And both teams like to counter-attack. And that's where it's going to be an interesting one. With Forrest at home this weekend, you would expect them to dominate possession. That may suit Derby to sit in and want to play a little bit more direct. They can play into Colin Chasm richards if he starts, but he's been playing off the bench a little bit more recently. But both teams are kind of stuck in a bit of a difficult position because Forrest have got a, a number of young players, Brennan Johnson, uh, Spence on loan from Middlesbrough, and Derby, like I said, have got Max Burr, Jason Knight. And these players are doing so well that now Premier League clubs are sniffing around and they want to buy them. So it's this real difficult point where it's like, OK, we want to play the kids, but we're going to lose all of our best players. And, you know, Forrest are made up of mainly young players and lone players. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting matchup. Could suit Derby on the counter-attack. They're strong in wide areas with the Johnson-Spence combination. And Derby are just on a, a ride in this wave. Tom Lawrence scored a couple of absolute worldies against Sheffield United. Um, they've got a pacey front three. Uh, so it's, it's a game that I could see be a, kind of a bit of a cat and mouse, both wanting to play on the counter-attack. Local Derby, the chat about Rooney going to Everton. There's, there's, there's lots of factors in this one. So you're looking at unders? Well, nine out of ten of the last meetings between these two teams have been under two and a half goals, with one game being 3-0. And the last four games have been drawn 1-1. And when you look at the stats, neither team are, you know, have huge outputs. Forest less than a goal a game, Norwich 0.63 goals a game. So you would look at this and say that it's going to be a really tight game, really competitive. Obviously, El Clafico, they want to win that trophy. Could it be Rooney's last game in charge? You know, is that going to happen or are Everton going to stick with Ferguson? The, the market at the moment, if you look at the handicap market, it's a half a ball. Uh, Derby is 16 to 5 to win. So this could be a game where maybe you back Derby on the plus handicap uh, or the draw. As we predicted before with the Chelsea-Brighton game, a 1-1. That was because of Brighton's, you know, four out of the last six games being 1-1. Maybe the same happens here. So potential bets for me, under two and a half goals. The draw as an outside bet and then Derby on the handicap market. But I think it's going to be a real, another massive game if you can get to watch it sit down, get a bag of popcorn, because I think it'll be an absolute a barnstormer, as we used to say. Uh, what's going on in, in Europe for us, then, Dean? Well, all I can say is, you know, COVID's been a nightmare for everybody. People on furlough, people struggling, working from home. But my advice to anyone is just don't bother going to Portugal uh, to get a job as a football manager. <laughs> Everyone's getting sacked, right? Well, they've had 12 managerial changes since the start of the season, seven since December, and we're sitting here on the 20th of January, and there's been another three managers sacked already in 2022. So if you're thinking about betting on the Portuguese league, then I'd probably stick your money back in your pocket and just have a little wait uh, I mean, you can bet on Porto. They're unbeaten in 46 league games. I mean, that's a sure bet, but the odds you're going to get are never going to be really better than 1.2, especially when they're playing at home. But yeah, really interesting to see 
uh, how many managers. It's not just England and the Premier League where everyone gets a sack. <laughs> um, what was I watching the other day? I watched something from a from a foreign league that was it was absolute carnage. But it seems that with um, with Afcon on, um, and not to discredit Afcon too much, but some of the um, some of the the moments from Afcon this year will be talked about. I'm sure a lot of that referee incident, etc. Um, but yeah, there was there was a clip from a foreign league. I think it might have been Portugal that was just absolute carnage. Um, anyway, that that's Portugal. Do you know what I'm really looking forward to though is in in Holland because isn't it Ajax PSV this week? First and second meeting in Eredivisie. Yeah, first and second. And Ollie, what will they have? What will, come on, do it again? We've missed this for a few weeks. <laughs> They will, they will have the purists purring. There we go. He's back. You always test me. Early doors. <laughs> Somehow I've survived this week. He's back. <laughs> yeah, we should have I a section, said... shouldn't we? The purist purring section, where we pick a, 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 a proper game each week to talk about. Yeah, well, yeah, but then that would be... I mean, you've, you've kind of mastered the purists purring, but I need my own little signature phrase. I don't have one. I feel left out. Uh, it'll, you come. Have... it'll come. Give it time. Give it time. I've been doing well, this many I... years, dude. <laughs> I just wave my hands around and, you know. <laughs> you so, do, yeah, you do. Uh, massive game. Ajax have still only conceded four goals this season. Uh, but That's crazy, the, the, isn't it? The interesting thing about this is that Ajax won the first game 5-0. And they're first and second in the league, which sounds bizarre. Like, you wouldn't... You're not going to see Man City playing Liverpool or, you know, well, actually... You could have back in the day the, with the with a little clip over over Edison, but yeah, it, and that was PSV's last defeat in the league. So this has been they've been unbeaten. Ajax have been unbeaten. They lost against Altmar two one, but yeah, four goals this season. So that's going to be a, a real this this will be the game really that kind of decides. You know, PSV could go four points ahead, or Ajax will finally become top of the table with a two point lead, and I think that'll kind of be the nail in the coffin for the for the title. So yeah, real massive game in Holland. And also just a notable mention for Italy this weekend as well. A revitalised Juve go to Milan. And interestingly, Juve have won six of their last 10 games, 2-0. And when they were at their best under Allegri, they were a nightmare for, for gamblers out there because every single game they were going off at minus one, minus one and a half in the handicap market. And the goal line was 2.25 or 2.5. And every single game they would win 2-0. So it was carnage. You'd either bet the unders and have a sweat or you'd bet the handicap uh, and have a sweat of uh, the opposition scoring a goal. And they seem to be back into pure Allegri 2-0 uh, territory. And that's, you know, that, that will put them back in the title race after a really rocky start. Milan in second place. So, yeah, another massive game in Italy this weekend. That's what it was. You've reminded me. It was Julian Messiah scoring in the 92nd minute that was disallowed. And then they obviously did oh. the team. And then Spezia went up the other end and scored, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, apparently the ref was crying after the game and things like that. I've read yeah, it. because he's, he's crying because he's just been given five million euros in a bag and he's so happy. <laughs> now, now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, that is an allegation you know, it, and our lawyers <laughs> cannot verify that. The, uh, yeah, that, uh, my opinion is my own and nothing to do with associates. <laughs> uh, you know, Italy's always been well known for those really strange games where a team moves massively in the market before the game. Then the game goes completely against the market until the second half where suddenly it goes from, there was a famous game that we actually were involved in quite, you know, with quite a big bet. 
and it was um, Lazio versus Verona. And there was a huge move before the game, uh, which would which was suggested goals. And then suddenly at nil 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 at half time, and the game looked like that famous game where teams were just passing around. I can't remember the game, but it's like, oh, we need to draw. Okay, let's all have a. And then suddenly yeah. in the second half, there was five goals in the first twenty minutes, and it's like, yeah. okay, this looks this looks a little bit. But yeah, that that game against Spezia the other night was. There was a lot of people quite angry regarding the uh, people that had big money on Milan um, and they dominated the game, the whole game, really poor in the final third. And obviously that counter punch from a team that have been really struggling, Thiago Motta, uh, ex-Italian international, PSG, struggling at Spezia. Um, but yeah, uh, but that's football, right? That's what you said. Unplanned madness, rip your tickets up. And that's why we love it. Yeah. OK, well, just reiterate, if you can, just before we sign off for this week, Dean, the um, bets you flagged up from the games you focused on? Yep. Yeah, so in El Clafico, we are going to go under two and a half, potentially the draw and derby on the handicap market. In the Watford game, Watford win better than even money and over two and a half goals, despite the statistics suggesting that it may be a little bit of a of a dull encounter, but I think it will be very open because of the styles, as we talked about in the tactics room. And in the Everton Villa game, the battle of Ferguson, Ebrill and Baines versus Gerrard. It will be a an Aston Villa slight favourites, draw no bet market, but I think Villa are better than that. It should be a quarter ball game. So I would go for Villa. Sorry, Everton. I love you with all my heart. And uh, over two and a half goals, exposure on both sides of the ball. Damari Gray to expose um, Matty Cash. Villa to get down the sides of the Everton centre-halves. Ferguson to give some biceps and some kid-hugging and some squeezing. And uh, I don't know, what what could we give the odds for Ferguson wearing a coat? <laughs> we, <laughs> I mean, it's cold. <laughs> it's probably going to be quite short, right? Well, it was freezing. No, because it was freezing cold against when he took over against Chelsea. Freezing cold, pouring down with rain, and he just started going all Hulk on everybody and stripping all his like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> took all his clothes off and was just stood there in the rain like a warrior, just going, you know. So I'd, I'd probably that, go five to one on that he just wears a white shirt, you know, and just goes kind of full, full Duncan on the touchline. All right, good stuff. Dean, thank you very much. Great to see you again. Um, I'm glad you're all right. I'm alive. Although, as, as the users can see, I have a little bit of Christmas left on me. A um, little bit of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which is a, a wound from my illness. But I am, like I said, 80%. I'm Stephen Bergwijn off the bench. Next week, I'm going to be back in the starting 11, fully fit and raring to go. Uh, and also as well, we, we, we've introduced a tactics room today. There's going to be a news strand as well where we're going to discuss sort of put, debate topics, things like who's the best striker to play in the Premier League, best local derby. I know we touched on it with Forest Derby today, things like that. So we really want to engage with you guys uh, who are listening to it, who are watching the show and bring you into the Bet It Right show, bring you into the Bet It Right website. This is, we hope, a big community where we can discuss football, but also use the data that betitright.com provides um, to find bets, follow Betitright insights and Betitright prompts to, to get advice on what to back. And as I say, become a big community. So make sure that you like the podcast, you subscribe to it, you tell all your mates about it, you listen to Dean, you follow the guys on Twitter, 
But most importantly, join betterride.com and all the information that we talk about is there for you at home. With just the, the click of a button, you can sign up and, and access all the information that we use on this show and beyond. So, Dean, thank you very much for that. We'll see you. I think it's International Week next week, so maybe a couple of weeks we'll be back and then we're into the heart of it for the rest of 2022. Brilliant. Good luck to everyone this weekend. Ollie, great to see you. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. Take care, everyone. That's the Better Right Show, the first of 2022. Happy New Year. Uh, here's to a prosperous and profitable 2022. We'll see you next time.